Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. So we are in 1 Samuel chapter 9, chapter 31. See that whole thing. Maybe I am having a stroke already. My words are jumbling. My brain is not going full loop circle. I am part of the privileged 75%. First Samuel chapter 28, let's just pray. I'm sorry, 31. Really, somebody better take me out of here. <laughs> Lord, we just come to you tonight, and, and Lord, we attest that you are the God of miracles, and you're the God that um, does all things well, Lord. And so, Lord, we're here now in this moment. We want to hear from you in your word. We thank you, Lord, for Jenna, for her family, what you've done for her. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're sovereign and the same yesterday, today, and forever. And now, Lord, as we just turn our attention fully to you, we ask, Father, that you would make sense of this passage in our lives personally, that you would shine the searchlight of your spirit upon our hearts and your word simultaneously, and help us, Lord, to understand your plan and path and ways for us now. So help us, Lord, and prepare us for what you'll ask of us tonight. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel 31, verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. So the Philistines, the enemies of God's people, triumph over God's people. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul, who was the king, and upon his sons, And the Philistines slew or killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. Okay, so the last time we were together, two weeks ago, we saw that David, who is in a long season of preparation to become Israel's next king, that he became discouraged and he took a little bit of a break from the pressure that he was in, uh, in God's plan. He left the borders of Israel. He went into the region of the Philistines and he took a job from the king of one of the cities of the Philistines, a man named Achish, who was the king of Gath, which just happened to be where Goliath was from. And so David takes a job in Gath, but it's a job based upon, uh, kind of a a miniature rebellion. He is considered universally to have been backslidden during this portion of his life uh, to be kind of running from God in a season of compromise. And he's really living a lie because he was hired essentially by Achish to kill Israelites. And he took the job and then got His pay ahead of time, a city down in the south portion of Judah that was under the control of the Philistines, and he used that to then kill the enemies of Israel. And so he was hired to kill Israelites, but he instead killed the enemies of Israel, and then every day he would go and report that he killed Israelites. And so he's totally living in compromise. He's living a lie. He's discouraged, okay? But he justified it because he was kind of serving God's purposes. He was still fighting the Lord's battles, even though it was in complete and total dishonesty. He's living a lie, but the walls of truth are slowly closing in on David. And any time you're living in compromise or living in a lie, the walls of truth are slowly closing in. And if you've ever been in that place, you know what that feels like. That feeling like you're always being followed, you're always being watched, like you're running out of time and you're running out of room. And sure enough, truth catches up with David. He gets a DM from his boss one morning and he says, come into my office and bring your weapons. And so David goes and Achish says, we're going into battle today against the Israelites and you're going with me and you're going to fight against your people right in my presence. And so David has a choice. He can either come clean or he can act insane again, or he can dig in deeper. What do you think he did? He dug in deeper. He said, you're going to see what I can do today, you know, and we don't know exactly what David would have done because... David, at the last minute, 
was saved by God from having to go into that situation. Providence prevailed and God rescued David from having to go and fight against his own people. And if you missed it, you can go back and read it how God did it. However, David did not get away with it because though he escaped having to fight against his own people and be found out, you cannot escape the discipline of God when you live in a season of backsliding and rebellion. And so David goes back to Ziklag and finds out, well, if you missed it, you'll have to read it, but he was disciplined. He got a trip to the woodshed from our good, good father, and David had some things he had to deal with because of what he did, because of his sin. So David was delivered from fighting against his people. However, the war was not canceled. The Philistines went forward in their plan, and they began to fight against the Israelites. And that's what we read in chapter 31, verses 1 and 2. The war began, the Philistines prevailed, and it says that Saul and his sons were killed. Saul was sore wounded, his sons were killed. Okay, you say, why did the people of God lose a battle against their enemies? Part of the reason was because of King Saul. We know that he was not interested in the well-being of his people. We know that 100% of his energy was given to himself. He was about protecting himself and preserving himself and his presentation of himself and propelling himself. He was all about him And thus he wasn't preparing the people for the day of battle. He wasn't training them to fight. He wasn't equipping the armies. He was all about himself. And thus the people weren't prepared when the day of the war came. We're told that he was sore wounded. It tells us in verse three that the battle went sore against Saul and the archers hit him and he was sore wounded. That means mortally or fatally or gravely wounded by the archers. So Saul said to his armor bearer, the one who was there to carry his shield and help Saul, he said, draw your sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. I can't kill the king. I'm I'm sorry, I can't do it. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell upon it. Saul commits suicide, or at least he attempts to commit suicide there that day. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his own sword and he died with him. And so Saul his sons, his armor bearer, they all die in the same day. That's what it tells us in verse six, all of them there together. How interesting that Saul now in this place where he has done nothing for the kingdom of God, nothing for the armies of the people that he is supposed to be serving. Now he finds himself thrust through with an arrow And his only thought of recourse is to kill himself because he doesn't want his body to be abused by the Philistines. And so in the same day, Saul, his men, his armor bearer, and his sons, they all die. It's interesting how a lot can change in a day, isn't it? I mean, if Saul, his sons, his armor bearer, and his men all die in the same day, who does that leave that is competent to rule the kingdom? David, right? One day, everything can change, okay? And I know that there are many of you that right now you're in a situation that it looks like it's hopeless, that even if one thing goes right, there's five other things right behind that one thing that will keep things from going well for you. And I want you to know that God can change everything in one day, one day. And he does it over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. Saul is such an interesting character, isn't he? The Bible tells us that he reigned for 40 years over Israel. He was the king. God gave him the ability to be the king for 40 years in Israel. And Saul started really well at the very beginning of his reign. But then he soured kind of quickly. He took things into his own hands. He did things his own way. And he slowly rotted over time so that by the end, Saul was a godless man. 
We, we skipped over it, but in chapter 28, he was consulting witches and using the occult to try to get spiritual insight because that's how far detached from God he had become. Saul's legacy is failure and shame. His autobiography, you know how like when a leader retires, they write a book to talk about their time. His autobiography is actually recorded in scripture. It's, it's, it's in 1 Samuel 26, 21. And he says this about himself. He says, I played the fool and erred exceedingly. He comes to the end of his life and he realizes that he wasted it, that it wasn't what it was supposed to be. It wasn't what it could have been. And the end of Saul was suicide. He fell upon his own sword. He didn't even die the honorable death that would give him a purple heart. He he died because of a self-inflicted sword wound. He, He died in shame. God weighs in on Saul's legacy. And God gives us insight into what he saw when he looked at Saul in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13. Listen to this. It says that Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord. And then he tells us what it is. It's threefold. Number one, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. So disobedience to the word of the Lord. Number two, it says also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit or a demon spirit, that is using the occult to gain spiritual insight and to inquire of it. That's number two. And then number three, verse 14, it says, and he inquired not of the Lord. Therefore, he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. And so when God weighs in on what he thinks of Saul, he says to him that he died for his transgression, that he didn't obey the word of the Lord, that he consulted a demon spirit, and that he did not inquire of the Lord. That was the reason that God gave for Saul's death. And so what is written on Saul's tombstone, the inscription that defines his life are the words, I did it my way. And to sum up Saul's life into a single word, to understand it and see it clearly for what it is, that single word is independence. The refusal or the resistance to depend on anything or anyone else. Saul wanted to be independent. He wanted to do it his way. And that left him a legacy of shame, a testimony that he himself called himself a fool, and where God said he died for his transgression, independence. Do you know that Saul's not the only one that ever struggled with independence? Do you know that independence is the plight of humanity ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden? Independence is the root of cause of the curse and of the misery that came from the curse. Independence is what Satan tempted Eve to grab a hold of when he said, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told Eve, he said that in the day that you eat it, you will be like God knowing good and evil. You won't need God in your life. You won't have to be bound by him and his restrictions. You won't need to listen to him and and wait for his leading and his promptings in your life. You'll have everything you need to lead yourself. You don't need to be in him. You can be alongside him. You'll be just like him. And he coerced Eve to take of that fruit. And that day, Eve became independent She had the knowledge of good and evil. She and Adam said to God, we don't need you. We can do this by ourselves. It's independence. Satan said, you can self-govern. Now, man was made in the image of God. That is true. But man was not made to be independent from God. We are invited by God to be in him, to be a part of him. That's why we're called the bride of Christ as the church, because the two become one. There's an inseparable link. 
were invited to be in him. We were not ever invited to be alongside of him, a separate entity that is like him. We are not gods. And we were never made or intended to be. And independence has been a struggle and a condition of humanity ever since the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they tried to cover themselves in the Garden of Eden. They could do it by themselves. They sewed together fig leaves. It was an awful idea. It created a rash that no mask could compete with. It was awful, very uncomfortable. They needed God to cover them. Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, he tried to prosper and to accomplish by himself. He thought, I don't need to do it God's way. I'll do it my way, the way I can figure, the way I can plan. And he tried to prosper his own life and to accomplish by himself. And the end of it was frustration and that he was cursed. We read of Jacob who belonged to God. And for 20 years, there was a battle going on inside of him, wrestling over who would have control of his life. And half the time he was Jacob, the independent conniver who can figure out how to make it happen. And the rest of the time he was Israel. Israel means governed by God. And he's a picture of the battle that rages within us over whether or not we're going to trust God and depend upon him or whether we're, we're going to live independent lives apart from God. One of the great questions that the Bible asks all of us from Genesis to Revelation is who is your God? A God is anything outside of yourself that you would lean upon for help or anything that you would lean on or trust in for help. That is a God. Who or what do you depend on? And there's really only three choices in all the universe. You can summarize it and boil it down to three basic things. Number one would be idolism. And that would be anything or anyone else other than God, idolism. So that could be money. It could be a substance that you take or depend on. It could be a person that you're co-dependent on. It could be a resource that you feel like you need and you trust in that resource and you lean on it. That's what you're depending on. That's all idolism. It's idolatry. The second choice is selfism. Where you say, no, 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 I don't lean on anything or anyone. I trust in me. I trust in me. I can do it. It's just me. That's all I need. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. And that's all I need is me. I trust me. That's two. Number three is God. And to trust in God means that you depend upon him, you rely upon him, you consult him and talk to him, and you obey what he says because you trust in him, you're dependent on him, you're linked to him. Now here's the message of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel is that you and I can be reconciled back into the right relationship with God that he intended humankind to have when he made man in the garden before the curse. That's the message of the gospel, that through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for our sins, we can come to God by faith and because of what he did for us on our behalf and by trusting in him, we can have our sins forgiven and we can be now in fellowship, relationship and communion with God brought back into that right relationship, connected with him, in him, as the Bible so clearly says. That's the message of the gospel. To live in the gospel means that you can live your life day by day in the substance of that relationship. And Paul the apostle defines it for us this way. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. I love how he can sum up so much in one, one verse. He says this <clears throat> in Jesus. He says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him or by faith in him. In Jesus, and this is the beauty, the, the, the life of the gospel, is that we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. We can come to God boldly and we're allowed in. He brings us into himself. We can have confidence that when we come to him, that he's not going to push us away, that he's not going to 
second guess our request, that he's not going to ignore us or say, I'm not in today, I'm busy, I'm, you come back another time. We have confidence, and that's done by faith in Jesus. It's not done by anything. That, that's the life of the gospel. And it is essentially that we are invited to place our dependence and our trust in God. We can depend on him. Now, there are many people that say they depend on God, that they're dependent on God. But no one really knows if they actually are because no one can really see what's going on inside of a person. And so I can say I'm dependent of God, but in my heart, I may not be. I could be given to idolism, dependent on other things. I could be selfism. I could say, well, I'm just going to figure this out and do it myself. No one would ever know. I just have to say it and, and I can go to church and everybody thinks that everything is good. You know, we say that we're dependent on God, but are you actually dependent on God? I have five kids, so most of you know that. And that means I was in the delivery room five times with my wife, giving birth, laboring, struggling in agony and pain. Not me, not me, her. I was there. But I played, I played a very, very important role. Come on, honey. No, 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 that wasn't it. You know what? Five times I got, I was given the scissors. And five times, you know, the baby's born and it has this alien-like hose attached to its middle. And it comes out and the doctor hands me the scissors and says, do you want to cut it? And I said, I guess that's my role, right? I'm the dad. I got to cut. This is, by the way, dad, that is your role. Do you realize that? It is the dad's job to cut the cord. And I'm not just talking about in the hospital, all right? That, that's, that's, that's not cutting the cord. Cutting the cord is where, you know, the mom is like, no, no, we got to do everything. We got to pay for this. We got to do, no, 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 dad, cut it. No, the cord is cut. We are not, they don't feed off of you anymore. That's the dad's role, but that's not all of the dad's role. The dad's role is not just to cut the first cord, but it's then to build the second one. There's a new cord that has to be built. It's the cord that connects our kids to the one that can give them life and the one that they are to depend on, and the one who is to be their source for all things. See, we cut one cord so we can build another cord. You say, what is the cord that connects the Christian, the human that is reconciled to God? What is the cord that connects us to God? I want to build it for you because <clears throat> we see it in Saul. Okay, I got four letters for you, and they're going to come up on the screen so you can write them down. Okay, but what is, what is the cord that we have connected to God? Number one is consultation. That is that we consult him, that we talk to him, that there's a conversation that happens between heaven and earth, between our heart and God's heart. There's a consultation. Secondly, there's obedience, that when God speaks to us, whether it be through his word or whether it be some other way that he communicates a message or the spirit's prompting in our hearts that we respond in obedience and we do the things that he said. Number three is that there's reliance. Reliance means to trust. To rely on something means that you can lay on it, you lean on it, you can put your full weight and you can rely on it that it's gonna be there, it's gonna carry you when you need it. And then finally, number four is dependence. And to be dependent on something means that you need it. So if someone is dependent on a substance, they will say, I need that substance. And so if you're dependent on God, it's different than relying. Relying just is, is a trust. I can rest there. But to depend on it means that it, it goes beyond just that I know he's there. Dependence is I need him. I need him in my life. If he's not in my life, then I can't function. That's dependence. That's what it is. And that's the cord that we are called to have in our trust and in our dependence upon God. And what we're told in the scripture is that Saul died because he cut the cord. He died because he was independent. He died because he didn't need God and he can do things his own way. What do you mean? He, first of all, Saul did not consult God. It tells us there in that passage in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 10, 14, it says that Saul died because he did not consult the Lord. Now, why is that important? Because Saul said that he did. If you re we, we actually skipped it, so I'm not going to hold you to remember it, but it's in chapter 28, verse 6. 
when Saul consulted a witch, and I, you should read it. It's an amazing chapter. Uh, we kind of grazed over it for time's sake last week, but he, he consulted a witch because he said, he said, I consulted God, but God didn't answer me. He said, I did pray. I did ask, but God said, no, you didn't. So Saul said that he did. God said that he didn't. Now in that passage, First Chron- or First Samuel chapter 28, verse six, he, he, he says three different ways he tried to hear from God. He said by dreams, he said by Urim, and he said by prophets. Now we know what dreams are. Dreams are the visions we see while we sleep. Basically it's saying, God, I'm here if you want to talk to me. And so I'm going to go to sleep now. And if you want to speak to me, give me a dream. And he didn't get a dream. And so he said, ah, oh, God's not listening to me. Second thing is Urim. Urim, it, it was something that the priest would wear that would help give insight to those that would come and inquire. And he said that I tried to hear from God through the Urim, but it didn't happen. So what's the modern equivalent of the Urim? It's like the fortune cookie. You know, like you're like, God, should I, what should I do? And you crack open the fortune cookie and it says, you know, something stupid, like go buy a new pair of shoes. You're like, oh, that's not what I needed. You know, at that moment. I used to know, I used to know this guy and, and like he, he looked for, he looked for the Urim in everything. You know, I mean, he was always hoping that God was going to speak. And, and he was telling me that one, one uh, morning he had, had invited someone to church the night before and they said they were going to come. But then at the last minute, they, they, they made up this excuse and they couldn't come. And the next morning he was really troubled about it. And so he prayed about it and he said, Lord, was that story they told me just to cover up? And he said, he opened up his medicine cabinet and the deodorant had a sticker on it that said, not a cover up. And he was like, thank you, Lord, for speaking to me in that. You know, same guy told me, he's like, oh, you know, I was praying about whether or not I should, uh, you know, learn the guitar. And he said, as soon as I prayed it, I drove past. I saw Taylor Street. He's like, I was, uh, I was, of course, I went and bought a Taylor, you know, because Taylor guitar, because God, you know, and there's some people that everything is the Urim, you know, but, but so I was like, okay, well, okay, I'll look around for a sign. I'll see if God speaks to me in some way. It's not happening. Third way he said was by a prophet. He went and listened to messages. He went to the church service. He thought, well, maybe God will talk to me at church. Listen, he did all these things, but there's one thing he didn't do. He didn't actually pray and ask God because God said, no, he didn't. Saul said, I inquired of God. God said, no, you didn't. And I say that because I talk to a lot of people that go through a lot of things and I'll ask them the question. I'll say, did you pray about that? And they'll go, oh, I, I, Prayer and me are kind of funny, you know, like I, I think, you know, I think prayer to me is thinking, you know, so I, I think about it while I'm in the car with the radio on country music while I'm, while I'm texting, but I, but I'm thinking about it and I'm, and I'm, no, 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 no. Did you pray? Oh. Uh, prayer is so unnatural. Yes. Prayer is very unnatural, okay? It is. Do you know why? Because we inherited the nature of Eve and Adam that says you don't need God. It is very unnatural for us to depend on God when we inherited an independent nature. And that is why it is something that we need to cultivate. It is something that we need to do to inquire of God. That's part of cord connection. It's consulting God. And if you are a person that's here tonight and that that would be your response, well, prayer out loud, prayer is kind of awkward for me. I don't really, but I think, and God and I have this thing. Listen, pray. You've got to pray with your mouth out loud. And there's a very easy way that you can break into it. Jesus taught us. His disciples even said, God, we can't get this prayer thing down. It's too hard. And Jesus said, listen, it's very simple. Here's what you do. Let me just ask you, how many of you in here by show of hands, raise your hand. How many of you in here know the Lord's prayer by memory? You know it by memory. Look around the room. That's something that we are just taught. If you're born in the United States of America, you come out of the womb going, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be that name of the kingdom, come the will be done. It's something that we just know. Okay, so here's what you do. Take that prayer and spend a few minutes tomorrow morning just praying that to God in your own words. Don't do it, don't do it verbatim. Okay, take, th- think about our father, Lord, I come to you as my father today, which are in heaven. I know that you're in heaven. I know that you are God, that you're sovereign. Hallowed be thy name. Lord, you're holy. I trust you. 
Thy kingdom come. Lord, do your will to establish your kingdom in my heart and on this earth. Thy will be done. God, I surrender every part of my life to you that your will be done and not my own on earth as it is in heaven. Today, Lord, give me what I need, the energy, the strength, the food, the blessing, the wisdom, the insight, and the help I need to be who you want me to be today, my daily bread. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us the other bread. Forgive us, for Lord, forgive me for my sins. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Lord, be glorified in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. How long did that take? Okay, start there. Just start there. If you don't like that one, take the prayer of Jabez. Just start somewhere, okay? And just take a prayer in your own words, not the words that are given to you already. In your own words, think about it, process it, and spit it back out in your own. And just talk to God and learn how to pray. It's part of having a cord connection with God. You cannot... Okay, you cannot have consultation without conversation. It's important that you pray lest you be like Saul and God look at you at the end of your life and say, you did not inquire of me. You listened to messages, you looked for signs, you heard the testimonies about the miracles, but you did not consult me. Beware that you are not like Saul. He did not consult the Lord. The second thing, Saul did not obey it tells us in 1 Chronicles 10, 13, it says, God said that he died for his transgression and that he did not obey the word of the Lord that was given to him. Now, again, Saul would argue. He'd say, no, no, I did obey. Mostly. I obeyed mostly. Remember those initial commands Samuel gave me? He gave me four, I did three. That's 75%. That's a passing grade. Come on. I did three out of four. God said, kill the Amalekites, kill them all. I killed them all, but I kept some of the sheep. I know that was part of it, but that was more like a 90%. I can't get in for 90%. God looked at Saul and he said, listen, partial obedience is disobedience. Let me ask you parents, how many of you accept partial obedience from your kids? Right? Go, go clean your room. Oh, 75%, you know, and it's all under the bed, but you can't see it. You know, it, it, I kind of did it. No, we don't accept 75%. We say, you're not obeying. You're not doing it. You don't understand. It's not from your heart. You're going through the motions, but you don't care about the reason. And that was Saul. He was disobedient to the things of God. He obeyed when it was convenient. He obeyed when it made sense. Did you hear what I just said? He obeyed when it made sense. Do the things of God make sense most of the time? Doesn't God say that my ways are as high as the heavens above your ways and past finding out? Doesn't he say that even if you try to understand why I do what I do, you're never going to understand it. And if you think you're going to be able to understand why God is asking you to do or not to do something in its fullness, and you wait for that understanding to come before you choose whether or not you're going to obey, you're going to disobey. Because you say, well, it doesn't make sense. That's just culturally not the way we do things. That's impractical. It goes against my human nature. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it does. But, but obedience is a sign of trust. It's a sign of dependence. It's that, Lord, I can't see what you see. I don't know what you know, but I trust you enough that if you say it, then it's important. And so I'm not only going to consult you, but when you speak, whether it be through your word or whether it just be the prompting in my heart, whether it's in my conscience telling me to stop doing something, I'm going to trust you enough to do it. Saul did not. Didn't make sense. Saul also did not rely or depend on God. He was self-reliant. He relied on threats, titles, reputation, manipulation. And listen to this. Even on the day Saul died, he relied upon his own controls to try to manipulate the outcome. I don't want the Philistines to abuse me. And so what do I do? I'll kill myself. Does that make sense? No, because do you know what happened? The Philistines abused him. It didn't even work. Anytime we try to control outcomes in our own life, no matter what, it is going to fail. Every, anybody can say amen to that? Amen. How many, uh, am I the only one in here that has tried to control a situation only to turn around and say, that was a disaster? You know, that didn't work out the way I pictured it. That was not according to script in the whole thing. It doesn't work. Watch what happens in verse 7, back over in uh, 1 Samuel 31. Watch this. It says that when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. By the way, do you know that even the suicide didn't work out? 
we're going to find out next week that Saul didn't even die when he tried to commit suicide. He had to wait for an Amalekite kid to come, and Saul's there bleeding, going, could you please kill me? This didn't work out. He didn't even kill himself right. It says that when they saw that he was dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow, in the morning, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And watch this. They cut off his head and they stripped off his armor and they sent into the land of the Philistines roundabout to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bet-Shan. And it tells us in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, that they took his head and they fastened it in the temple of Dagon. Remember the temple of Dagon, the ark, the fish god? And the fish god kept falling and breaking and was on its stone. They took Saul's head and they fastened it in the temple of Dagon. So they take his armor and they start this chainmail thing where they start sending it around Israel. They take his body and crucify it, nail it up on the wall of the city of Bet-Shan, and they fasten his head, Saul's head, in the house of their God, and they start having a party around Israel because they have the body of the king of Israel. Now, I don't know how you classify abuse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, quit slay me, lest the Philistines abuse me. That's exactly what they did. They abused him completely. Listen, any time, you try to control outcomes in your life, no matter what they are, you are going to find that your life is going to feel like running in a dream. You ever try to run in a dream? Am I the only one, if you ever have to run in a dream, all of a sudden, like you can't move, it's like you're underwater. That's life if you're going to try to control the outcomes of the situations that you're in. Listen to what Jesus said. It's John chapter 15, verse five. He said this. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And when you try to not rely or depend on God and to just be, I'm going to do it my way, or I'm going to depend on something else, or I'm going to use drugs, or I'm going to just buy my way out of this situation. Anytime you try to depend on something else, you are going to be frustrated and it's going to fail. If you try to prosper yourself, you're going to be frustrated. If you try to lead yourself through a situation or through your life or through your education or through your career, you are going to find that it is not working out the way you want. And when you get there, you're going to say, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. If you try to fix your spouse, or your kids by your own means of manipulation, you're going to be frustrated because you're going to find that it backfires and doesn't work every single time. And if you are in a situation that is precarious and tedious and complex, and you try to navigate it on your own without God, I promise you, you will wish you did otherwise because it's not going to work out the way you want it. This is Saul's life. He cut the cord and the testimony of it is laid out right before us in scripture. And so I asked the question, what would have happened if he didn't? What would have happened? What would have the outcome have been if Saul hadn't cut the cord? If he had just been dependent on God, if he had trusted in God? Do you know the answer is actually given to us in the close of the chapter? Watch this. It says in verse 11, it says that when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his men or his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there, gave them a proper burial. And then they took the bones and they buried them under a tree at Jabesh and they fasted for seven days. Now, this is interesting. You say, who are the men of Jabesh Gilead? It's a very interesting question. I'm glad you asked it. Because they have a history. They have a reputation, these men of Jabesh Gilead. We see them in the book of Judges. And there was a time in the book of Judges when Israel was just in a, a filthy, horrible state. And there needed to be some cleansing. There needed to be some inner dealings because of some dark things that were going on within the borders of the land. And the leaders of Israel realized there's a problem. And so they called all of the men of Israel to come together to deal with this issue that they were having. 
And all of the men of Israel came except for the men of one place. The men of Jabesh Gilead, they didn't come. It wasn't worth their time. They didn't care. It's no big deal. And so they stayed back. And, and, and when the whole thing was settled and cleaned up, someone said, hey, who didn't come? And they figured it out. And they said, hey, the men of Jabesh Gilead didn't come. They said, kill them. So they go in there and they actually wipe out a good number of the men. And they're like, man, maybe we shouldn't have done that. We, we told, that, that was probably not a good idea. And so now you have this weakened town, this weakened village, this place of Jabesh Gilead that, that's there. Now, fast forward just a couple years from that time. It's really not that far into the future. And this man named Nahash, he's an Ammonite. He goes, where can I get into Israel and attack them in a way that they're vulnerable and I can really, you know, get, get a foothold? He goes, oh, I'll go to Jabesh. They're weak. They're, they, they're, they're disliked. They have a bad reputation. So Nahash goes into Jabesh Gilead and he says to the guys there, he says, look it. He goes, you're going to serve me. I'm going to be the Lord here. You're going to give me all your stuff. And, 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 and they said, he said, and they said, what are you going to do about it? And they said, well, um, they said, all right, well, let us make a, a compromise, a treaty with you, you know, in the whole thing. And, and you, you know, um, but give us seven days to figure it out. He says, the Nahash, he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll give you seven days. And if you agree to a treaty, I get to poke out your right eye <laughs> and then you're going to be my servant. And they go, ah, oh, all right, give us a few days to think about it. And so they, they go, when? Well, if we don't have a right eye, then we can't fight because that's how you would see around your shield. You know, you, you know if, you, if you only had a left eye, you would stick your head out and, poof, you know, so if you didn't have a right eye, you couldn't fight. He was taking away their ability to, you know, defend themselves. And so they, they, they say, well, give us a few days. And so they send a message. And Saul was this newly minted king. He had just been given this thing that he's going to be the king. And Saul hears that the men of Jabesh Gilead are in distress, that they're in trouble. And so Saul sends throughout the whole land of Israel, and he says, hey, guys, our brothers are in trouble. The men of Jabesh, they need our help. And I imagine all of Israel is going, Jabesh? Jabesh? Let, let, let's see what Jabesh can do. Let, I, this is actually pretty good. Can we go watch? You know? And Saul says, no, if you don't go and help the men of Jabesh, then I'm going to cut you in pieces like these cows. And so the men go, oh, all right. And so 300,000 plus men, gather together and they go and they deliver Jabesh Gilead from the hand of Nahash, the Ammonite and his army. And now 40 years later, the men of Jabesh Gilead who are alive because Saul served them, they say, we cannot let Saul's body be dishonored by being fastened on a Philistine city wall. We cannot let his head hang in the temple of Dagon. Who's with me to cross the line of an enemy that just defeated us soundly and do what we have to do to go get Saul's body and give him a proper burial? And the men of Jabesh stand up and they say, we're in. And they go and they get his body. We don't know what they had to do to get it, but they got it. And they gave Saul a proper burial. And then the story closes. And I believe that it is an amazing answer to the question of what Saul's life and legacy would have been had he just done it right. If he just leaned upon the Lord, if he, if he just served people instead of tried to shape people, if he had been about people and not about himself or about profit, it would have been so much different if he had invested in David and his men, he would have had an army that wouldn't have allowed the Philistines to defeat them and he would have kept his life. If David had still been his armor bearer, trusted by Saul, you can imagine that the archers would not have hit him had David been the one guarding him. But Saul was going to do it his way. I'm not going to do it God's way because I wouldn't be true to myself. You ever said that? I have to be true to myself. Be true to God. I said earlier in the study, I said, I said, one of the great questions that the Bible asks us is who is your God? Well, that question will be answered in time for every single one of us. Who is your God? Who is it or what is it that you're depending on right now in your life?
Is it idolism? Do you trust in money? Do you trust in a substance? Are you leaning and depending upon a person? Something else other than God plus or God and or? Or maybe it's selfism. Maybe, you know what, God, he, his ways are so mysterious and I'm, 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 a, I'm a neck up kind of guy. I got to understand it. I got to see it. And I can't understand. Just obey. I'm, I, I'll figure this out. I'll do it. I can, I can, I can. Or do you really, not just say it, but do you really depend on the Lord? Is the cord really in place? Is there a connection? Is there consultation, talking to him? Hearing from him, seeking him in his will, in his word, following through by walking in his ways and doing the things that his spirit is prompting you to do or his word is telling you to do or that you know you're supposed to do. Is there a reliance on him where you can literally rest in him? That's what to rely is to rest, meaning that you're not obsessing about every little thing in your life, over preparing for everything you do, working through every single little minute detail, trying to control it all, but you can rely on him. Is it? No, I don't know exactly how this is, is going to go. I, I, I'm not exactly sure how this is going to work out, but hey, God asked me to do it. I'm going to walk in it. I don't really know how to be a dad, but he's asked me to be one. And so I'm going to trust him that if, 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 if I'm willing, that he'll lead me and give me the strength that makes me willing in the day of his power, even though I don't know how to do it, I'm going to rely on him and I'm going to depend on him. I'm going to allow myself to need him. You know, the last words of, of Saul are recorded. It says that Saul said that he played the fool and he erred exceedingly. You know, the last words of David are also recorded in the Bible. The last words of David are, are given to us. It's in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, it'll go up on the screen because I obviously depended on God to remind me of that verse and I forgot it, but it's, that's why it's on the screen. No, it's 2 Samuel 23 verse 1. And it says this, it says, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, these are David's last word, a man who depended. He did not cut the cord. He said, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He that rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. And although my house be not so with God yet, in other words, I haven't seen even at my death, I haven't seen the fullness of all that God is doing and will do for me and for my descendants. Yet he has made me an everlasting promise, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire although he make it not grow, meaning I haven't seen the end of it yet. But do you hear the difference between Saul? I played the fool. I erred exceedingly. I wasted my life. And David, who says, at my death, my life is the reflection of a bright, sunny morning where the dew is reflecting the light of the sun so beautifully that it's breathtaking to me to think about all that God has allowed me to speak and to do and to be and what he has been in my life and what he has spoken over me, not just for me, but for my descendants and what will go on from me into eternity. And I ask you tonight, which do you want to be? Do you want to be, I did it my way. It's on my tombstone. I was a fool. I ruined my life. I wrecked my marriage and then a few more. And I, I but it's, I did it my way though. I was true to myself. Or to say, God, at the end, God, I could never have imagined what you, what you were going to do for me. And and there were dark days and things I didn't understand. And it was hard at times, but to, to be able to look back and to see and to be where I am now and on the edge of eternity, I have no more strength left in my body. And yet I feel in my heart, like my life is like the sun shining on a clear morning when it's reflecting off the dew of the ground. And Lord, what you're going to do for my kids and those that are behind and what is yet to come, it's beyond anything that I could ever ask or think. 
Jesus said in John chapter 15, he said, if you abide in me, if your cord is connected, he said that you will bear much fruit. And he said that you will pray and your prayers will be answered. And he said that your joy will be full. And if abiding in Jesus means that my life will be fruitful and that my prayers will be heard and answered and that my joy will be full, then I think I want to know what it means to abide in him. Do you? Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you reveal. We thank you for your ways. And we thank you that you are a God who is so near to us in all things that we call upon you for. And so tonight, Lord, as we look at this man who cut the cord, and we think that tonight we have the choice to abide in you. You've given us the privilege through the cross of Jesus Christ to be reconciled, connected, and to live in the life of the gospel. I would ask, Lord, that tonight you would move in our hearts, that if the connection has grown soft, if your voice has grown dim, or if it's never been made, that tonight, Lord, by your spirit, you would give to us what Paul said when he said that in him we have access with confidence and boldness by faith. Would you do that for us now, Father? Would you help us where we've become weak? Would you connect us, Lord, where we've been cut off? And may we, Lord, each of us, May we be those that bear much fruit, that our lives would mean much and matter much for your glory, and in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.